You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com. Good morning. We're starting our uh, Easter series today. The reason being, Easter is going to be on the very front side of April. And I'll talk more about that and how we come up with the title in a moment. This past week, as I was online, I checked out the Weather Channel. Uh, reasons probably obvious to you because some things kind of happened, you know, last week, first of March and stuff. Typically, don't happen a whole lot uh, around here. The weather's been a little bit different. But anyway, I found this image, and uh, it said, in like a lion. And as I looked at this image, I couldn't help but reflect upon Jesus being the Lion of Judah. And while they are talking about the weather coming in like a lion, uh, it is my hope and prayer that as we start today and work toward Easter and the other side of Easter, that God will just come in, that Jesus will come in like the Lion of Judah in our hearts and our lives in this church, and even take us outside the walls of this church to really do some significant stuff uh, during this time of year as we think about Easter. So I said a moment ago, on uh, April the 4th, that's when Easter is going to be. So I encourage you right now to start inviting family and friends. You might be saying, why are you telling us that? It's a good time of year when you can get unchurched people, especially to think about visiting church. So do that, if you would, please. Can I make another request of you? Just do a little another advertisement before we get into the message. Um, one, uh, or two more really, one, inside the updates, there's an invite card that tells everything that's going on in the next two months. That is there for you to not keep at home and put on the refrigerator or in your Bible uh, to remind you of what's taking place here. That's for you to give to somebody else. We have inside the updates the list of the titles, and we really want you to take that and use that to invite someone else to come this Easter season so maybe their life uh, can be impacted. Uh, the other thing I want to mention, kind of way of a quick advertisement, especially on Easter Sunday. If any of you that normally come to the 1030 can come to 830, will you please pray about that and consider doing it? That way it will give us more seats at the 1030 service. And I'm just asking you to just please pray about that. And if you can do that, please uh, do it at least on that Sunday uh, for us. Uh, anyway, with Easter coming that early in the month, we decided to look at March building up to Easter Sunday. And then there's only three Sundays in April on the other side of Easter, so we thought about doing something that dealt with before Easter and after Easter. So what we're doing this month, and that's where the title comes from, before and after this series, what we're doing this month in March, we are following Jesus to the cross seeing things that take place in His life all the way up to the crucifixion. Then we're going to get to the resurrection. And as a result of the crucifixion and the resurrection, the after part of this series, the last three Sundays of April, we're going to focus upon what difference the crucifixion and the resurrection ought to make in our lives. And that will be our focus during that time. Today we uh, are starting a message our first message in the series is called The Ride. It's about Jesus doing what many people refer to as the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. And I think there's some pretty good lessons we can learn from this ride that Jesus takes into Jerusalem. Look how John describes it for us. In John's Gospel, the Bible says the next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem. And we'll break all this down in just a moment. They took palm branches and went out to meet Him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, and then it's quoted from Zechariah, and we'll see that also in a few minutes. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your King is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, the disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified. In other words, Jesus had been crucified. Resurrection takes place. Now Jesus in His glorified body. On the other side of that, they begin to understand more about what was taking place. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about Him 
that they had done these things to him, and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Now this story might sound a little bit strange to you. Because you may be thinking, all right, he's Jesus. He's God in the flesh, God's own son. He is on the way into Jerusalem. And surely his ride ought to be a little bit more significant, a little bit cooler looking than a donkey's colt. You might be wondering, why in the world is he not riding this magnificent white horse? Well, can I tell you that comes later on? And you better be ready for it. Because he will. Or why is he not in this really nice chariot with a lot of, you know, just all kinds of trimmings and gold shining on it and everything else? Why is he not on this chariot with a whole team of horses pulling him into the city like a king should be brought into the city? But he's not. He's riding on a donkey. In other words, if you want to contemporize that a little bit, Jesus didn't show up in Jerusalem driving a Lexus. He didn't show up driving a Mercedes. He didn't come in driving a Beamer. Now, the reason I'm playing with that a little bit is this. Sometimes, people establish their self-worth or the self-worth of others based upon the ride that the person's driving or that they're driving themselves. Now, let me say something. Because if you drive a Beamer or you drive a Mercedes or you drive a Lexus, I am not shooting at you right now just because you have that kind of car. You know? I'm not shooting you about that at all. Unless you think because you have that kind of car you are something, then I am shooting at you. If you think your self-worth, your value, or the importance and significance of somebody else is based upon the kind of ride that they show up in, then let me ask you something. How does that mentality translate over to Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, riding a donkey? If we're going to establish the self-worth and the value of someone based upon their ride, the God of all the universe rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, how does that correlate over into us establishing His value? See, we've got a quandary there. I guess really what I want to ask you this morning before we jump right into the message is this. How do you view Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ to you? This Jesus that is riding this donkey into Jerusalem in what we refer to as the triumphant entry. Who is this person riding on this donkey to you? Is, that, is this Christ to you, first of all, just the show? Is Christ to you just the show? Is that all He is? Is a show. Next slide, please. John chapter 12. We already read these verses a minute ago, but look at the first couple of verses. Verse and a half. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast, they're gathering there in Jerusalem for this big worship feast. And they heard that Jesus was on His way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet Him. See, here's what's taking place. They had been hearing stuff about Jesus for a while. Some of them had probably seen some of the neat stuff that Jesus had done. They'd heard Jesus had done things like turn water into wine. I was thinking about that this week, and I wondered if, you know, if that would attract people to church. You bring water, we'll make it in wine. Some of you are like, well, what's that? What's wine? Right, we're in the South, redneck. You bring your water, we'll turn it into beer. How's that? Does that translate? Overmore. I'm just joking with that. But they had heard Jesus had performed that kind of miracle. They had heard that Jesus had healed this nobleman's son. By the way, he did it from the distance. Didn't even have to go there. Just did it from the distance. They had heard Jesus was walking out by a pool one day, and this man was there who was an invalid and couldn't walk, and Jesus healed him, and he got up and walked. 
They had heard that Jesus had fed 5,000 men plus women and children fish and chips. Multiply the fishes and the loaves. And he fed them. And by the way, they're wanting to follow him, and we'll deal with this more fully in a moment just because they wanted more food to eat. We'll see that in a few minutes. Jesus withdraws from this crowd because he understands that's all they want. They just want some more fish and some more bread. So he withdraws from them. He sends the disciples to go across on the other side of a lake. On their journey there, the wind gets really contrary to them and it's blowing up a storm. And they're there in the middle of the lake trying to get to the other side. Suddenly, Jesus comes walking on the water in the midst of the storm. As soon as they invite Jesus in the boat, do you know what the Bible tells us in John chapter 6? Instantly, they're at the other shore. So here's the deal. Jesus invented the first speedboat in the history of the world. Here's a side message that we could preach this whole message on if you know God had so led, and that is this. If you're in a storm right now and the wind is contrary to your life, what you need to do is invite Jesus into your boat to get to the other side. So they're hearing all of this stuff. Now, in John chapter 11, something else happens. Jesus raises this man by the name of Lazarus from the dead, who, by the way, had been dead long enough his, sister, his sisters were worried if you have to roll the tomb away, we're going to be embarrassed because he's going to stink. So they've been hearing all this great stuff about Jesus. He's done this miracle, that miracle, this miracle, and now it's being noised around. Man, he raised somebody from the dead. And Jesus is on the way into Jerusalem. And they hear he's coming. And they run out to meet him. And probably a lot of them are there. Maybe most of them are there. Because they think, we want to go see the show. We want to see the next miracle. We want to see what he's going to do next. We're going to look and go see Jesus and see, man, if he can wow us with some more entertainment. See, the Bible tells us as you come on down into... Uh, in John 12, verse 17 and 18, the Bible says this, Now the crowd that was with him, when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. You want to contemporize that a little bit? The crowd's there, they watch Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead, and they pull out their Blackberries and their iPhones, and they're tweeting around to everybody, and they're sending blogs out. Man, you all see what Jesus did. It's getting around all over the place. People have heard it. Then the Bible says this. Many people, and notice this, let me emphasize it for you, I think the way the Holy Spirit intended. Many people, because they had heard that He had given this miraculous sign, went out to meet Him. That's their motivation. That's why they're running out to see Jesus. That's why they are grabbing palms and, and waving those palm limbs in the air and shouting Hosanna as He comes in. They want to see the show. The circus is on the way to town for them. They're running out there not because they're convinced He is who He said He was. They're not running out there to see the miracle giver. They're running out there just to see another miracle just to maybe see some way their need can be met. A little bit more fish, a little bit more bread. Their motives were wrong. And you see, Jesus understood this. Because after He had multiplied the, the fish and the loaves of bread, He withdrew Himself because He knew what their motives were. He got in the boat that I mentioned a moment ago, the speedboat, they get to the other side. The next day, some of these people that had ate, the food that Jesus had prepared before, they find Jesus on the other side of the lake and they come scurrying up to Him. Where have you been? We've been trying to find you. You want to know why they've been trying to find Him? More fish, more bread. Jesus even tells them that. Look what you find here in John 6. And, uh, there's a typo in, in your notes if you want to change that in your notes. And 
side of the updates, it says 36. It should be 26. Jesus looked at him and He says this, I tell you the truth, you are looking for Me not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Now, you need to understand what Jesus is really saying. He's saying, you're not looking for Me because you saw the miraculous signs. In other words, He's saying, you have not been convinced that by the miraculous signs, I am who I claim to be. He said, and you're looking for me just because you got your stomachs filled and you want your stomachs filled again. The miracle didn't mean to you what it was supposed to mean. The miracle did not convince you that I am who I claim to be. Instead, all you want to do is get another hit on the fish and another hit on the bread. You want to see me do some other show. And then Jesus goes on in John chapter 6 to give this long discourse about the bread of life. And then on the back side of that, Jesus looks at these people and He tells them this, You must eat of My flesh and drink of My blood. And this crowd is there and they think, Whoa, you know, that's a hard saying. That's a hard teaching. We, we can't really accept that. And the Bible says they turned and they walked away from Him. And Jesus even turned and looked at His own disciples and He said, are you going to leave too? You see, as long as it was lighthearted, as long as it was fun, as long as it was the show, as long as He's coming in like a celebrity and they're out there enjoying that, all that's well and fine. But it's when He starts to press in a commitment upon them and let them know that Jesus needs to be their bread of life and Jesus' blood is necessary for them to be forgiven of their sins. When Jesus starts speaking in those terms, they walk away from Him. Most of the crowd that day, even His own disciples, you'll see in a moment, didn't understand things yet. Most of the crowd that day as he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey misunderstand. And they're there just looking for another miracle. They're there wanting just to see another show. Instead of really being committed to what Jesus was calling them to. You might be wondering, well, all right, preacher, that's all that's fine, you know, but how in the world does that apply to me? I want to ask you a question this morning. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Is Jesus Christ just the show? Will you only pursue Him as long as there's something in it for you? As long as He's giving you fish and chips. Will you follow after Him? As long as it's the hip thing to do, the end thing to do, and you can be there in the crowd and wave these branches in the air and shout Hosanna, as long as that's the cool thing to do, will you do that? But when He starts walking toward the cross, will you turn and go the other way? See, who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus just a show? Can I take that a step further? Why do you come to Day 3 Church? Do you come to Day 3 Church just for the show? Do you come here just because we've got drums and we've got electric guitars and we might do a cool stage set and uh, you know the music or donuts outside or I might tell some funny stories every now and then? Is that why you come to Day 3 Church? Just for the show, just to be entertained. Honestly, why do you really come to Day 3 Church? Now, right now, as I ask that question, if in your mind you probably said, well, yes, tell me partially that's why I come because of the show. I, I want to give you a little bit of a release and then I'm just going <clears> to... <throat> we do the show like we do trying to get you to come. I dress like this trying to let you know it's fine if you want to come to church wearing jeans. I could show up wearing a suit. I've got a suit at home right now. The only way you get it on me is if you get married or if you die. And, you know, I have enjoyed seven years of jeans. I tell you I have. So we do that just letting you know it's fine to come like that. We do the music 
hoping that we can connect with people that maybe other churches might not connect with in this area. We do some of the multimedia stuff and the video stuff. We do it all trying to get you to come and trying to connect with you. So it's not all bad that we do that. And maybe that's why you initially start coming. But we please, please, please hear this. Please don't let that be the ultimate reason you come to Daybreak Church. I don't want you to keep coming here because of the show. I want you to come here because there is a real Jesus Christ, not the show Jesus Christ. There is a real Jesus Christ that wants to impact your life in amazing ways and use your life in ways you've never imagined. A week and a half or so ago, uh, I had a birthday and turned 54. Uh, I, I appreciate, at least I started early in the day, I appreciate you guys sending me um, you know, messages and little tweets and things like that. Happy birthday. By the end of the day, I was like, oh, yeah, thank you, thank you, thank you. And my finger's still sore from... I started trying to thank some of you and send it back. I was like, there's no way I'm doing this. So if you didn't get a thank you from me, thank you. But I didn't have time that day to send everybody a thank you. And every now and then I get some special emails like people that have just maybe connected to the church and 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 God has used you know the way we do the show or whatever to to attract them and, and then God's speaking to their lives. But then sometimes even people that have been coming for a while, I'll, I'll just I'll get a an email that blows me away. And Rex Brown, Rex knows that I'm telling this. Rex on my fifty. Fourth birthday gave me the best birthday present I've ever had in my life. Ever. Because he sent me a message and rehearsed over his life over the last few years. How he had fallen out of church and how he was you know, guilty because of, of uh, substance abuse, drinking alcohol, and that control in his life. And how his family was almost gone. And he thought God had just given up on him. And his son, uh, Andy, invited him to come to day three. And he decided, you know, that they would come to, to start with. But the way he showed up to start with was this. He got his Bible, put it under his arm, put the let's go to church smile on with he and his family. And they came in and said, you know, well, hey, we're, good. we're glad to be here. Everything's fine with us. Typical church people. After a while... He nosedived again and got really embarrassed because he had fallen back into using alcohol and then to control his life in his family situation, deteriorating and being where it was. People have been praying for him. I prayed for him. We, you know, I tried to call a few times. And one Saturday morning, I actually catch him. And he's on a hangover from the night before. But after we get off the phone talking, he tells his wife, I, I, I think I'm going to give it one more chance and go back. <clears throat> so the week after that, I happen to be outside, not necessarily looking for him. I, I just happen to be there. And I see Rex and his family turn the corner. And I hug him and kind of you know, pull him inside. And the, the email more or less went on to say this. Because of the way he was received here, not just by me, but by some of you. That he felt like he was the prodigal son and that we brought him in and we put the best robe on him and a ring on his finger. And he kept coming and then God pressed him to the point one Sunday he came up here and confessed his sin before everyone else. And that was a little bit over two years ago and he's been sober to this day. Now, the reason I tell that story at a time like this is for this reason. Jesus needs to be more than the show to you. And if you let Him be more than just the show to you, He will impact your life and use you in ways you never, ever imagined. Use you to encourage someone like Rex. 
See, that's not on me, guys. It's not really on you. It's on Jesus through us. But thank God that you had the kind of receiving spirit that He was able to come here and eventually feel comfortable enough to stand here and tell us what His problems were and to ask for prayer and God give Him victory to this point in His life. See, you need to get beyond Jesus just being the show. You need to let Jesus be so strategic and so important in your life that you actually get involved serving Jesus Christ here in this church. For some of you, He's just the show and you just kind of come and you attend every now and then. Well, let Jesus be more than the show to you. He wants to place you in a church, whether it's this church or another church, but He wants a commitment from your life so He can use your life for His glory. And some of you that, that, that haven't done that yet need to step up and go to a membership class. And some of you that have gone to a membership class, but then you've kind of just been cooling it a little bit. Guess what? Jesus doesn't want to be just the show for you. Jesus wants to use your life in this place in a way that you can be part of stories like Rex Brown's. Well, I can't do that much. I'm just not that gifted. You know, there's not that much I can do at church. How many of you can pray? Where'd she go to? Where's Catherine? Oh, bad timing. I'm going to get mine to sit down until she gets back in here and I'll say another word. One of our ushers just went after her. I think you're okay. I think I might do that. <laughs> Y'all heard a few weeks ago, and, and most of you, unless you know you on another planet, probably in this county, have heard. Uh, about Catherine Peak, uh, Mike uh, Peak is a principal at South Caldwell, and uh, anyway, she came out of breast cancer, and uh, it had already spread over into her liver and into her lungs and into her shoulder. We got a report just a couple of weeks ago that when she had a scan done here, that they could not find any cancer anywhere except where they thought it originated from in her breast. Uh, no, not yet, not yet. Mike was at our men's breakfast yesterday morning. And I went up and asked him, I said, how did the trip to Duke go, you know, this week? Because she went down to, you know, have a scan and for them to look at things down at Duke. Not only could they not see any cancer on the liver or the lungs or the shoulder, now there's no cancer in the breast. I'm I'm a Baptist pastor. I may turn Pentecostal and run a circle around this place. I would accept my pray Catherine outrun me. <laughs> the reason I tell that story in this message is for this reason. Jesus wants to be more than just some show or entertainment level or a church, a place you just hang out at every now and then. You can do something like pray for people like Catherine and then be on the other side of seeing God move. And you might be saying, oh, but it doesn't always work like that. No, it doesn't. But you know what? God always moves. God always uses it. Somehow to glorify Himself. I'm just wanting to tell you this morning, Jesus needs to be more than a show to you. And that's all He was for some of these people who went out to meet Him. He was just... The best show at that particular time. You want to know why Jesus needs to be more than a show to you? And why you don't need just to come to Day 3 Church because of the show? Here's why. Because there'll be some Sundays when the show's not that good. There'll be some Sundays when we mess the music up. There'll be some Sundays when I'm stumbling over my own tongue and can't seem to feel like I can communicate or connect with you whatsoever. There will be Sundays that you'll think the show was boring. That's why you don't need to come here because of the show. That's why you need to come here because you're committed to Jesus. 
Jesus. Is Jesus to you the sovereign? The sovereign. Verse 13 through 16 tells us this. They took palm branches and went out to meet him. By the way, that's kind of a typical way they would take palm branches, throw their their coat down, clothing down, make a red carpet ride for a dignitary or a king to come into a city. So they took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. So they're saying, hey, here's a sovereign, here's a king. The Bible tells us Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. They're out there shouting because someone is coming they perceive to be their king. Now, they're doing it for the wrong reason. Because in the mind of most of the people that are there, they are hoping that Jesus, the Messiah, their concept of the Messiah, is someone that will come in, chase off the Roman Empire, or anyone else that might have been oppressing the Jews at that particular time, set up the king, kingdom of David, his throne, and they can go back to their glory days. That was kind of the viewpoint that they had. So they, they recognize Him that being a sovereign coming in. Jesus being a king. So I want to ask you a question. Do you recognize Jesus as a king? And if so, what type of king? Because for some people, Jesus is only a political leader. That's all He is. That's all He was for many of these people that day standing there at Jerusalem as He rode into the city. They were thinking, here comes our new king and He's going to whip the Roman Empire and we're going to be big time on the scene as a nation of Israel again. They're just thinking, look, He's coming in and He's going to help deliver us. He's going to chase off the Roman Empire. You see, that's a similar view that some people still today have of Jesus Christ. Because some people have this opinion of Jesus. Jesus was just a good leader. He was a human being. That's all He was. He was kind of leading a political movement or a religious movement in that day and time. Uh, he was just a good teacher, a good rabbi problem with that is this, guys. You can't have it both ways. And Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. And either Jesus is God in the flesh or Jesus is a heretic. And I'm banking He was God in the flesh because they nailed Him to a cross, they buried Him, and He took His life back up. But many people just view Him as being just this human being. that that Some historical figure. A lot of people today are doing this. A lot of people in our society, in the world we live in today, they are kind of watching the news and they're putting out feelers and tentacles all over the place and they're wanting to find somebody on the scene of this world that can just kind of fix our screwed up world. I've got some news for you. There's no politician that has ever existed or will exist or that you're going to find on the horizon of this world or any other political leader or anyone else that's going to fix our screwed up world. The only person that can fix our screwed up world, our messed up society, your messed up life and my messed up life, our messed up nation, our messed up communities, our messed up globe is Jesus Christ. And until the Prince of Peace comes and He reigns, there is no peace. Until He comes and He establishes His kingdom. So don't be looking at Him just as some type of political leader. That's one view you might have of Him being a king. Second view, and the correct view is this. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He's total sovereign God in the flesh. Zechariah gives us a hint about this. It's quoted in John's Gospel that we've already read today. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your King comes to you. Righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey. On the colt. The foal of a donkey. Most of the people in the crowd would have been familiar with this verse they would have attached this as being a significant event because of all that Jesus had already done. And now they're out there celebrating Him as their new political king that's going to come in and set up a throne of David. 
the religious people of that day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, they would have recognized this situation for sure. And to be honest with you, as you'll see in a few minutes, they weren't too happy. They didn't like what was going on with the crowd being out there. But this was told hundreds of years before it happened as a prophecy that it would happen just like it happened to give us a sign that Jesus is who He says He is. Along with all the other signs that Jesus was doing. And notice how Jesus comes. The Bible says, See, your King comes to you righteous and having salvation. Let me stop there just for a moment. That is very, very significant. Because if Jesus did not come as righteous, and that means He's sinless and bearing salvation with Him, we might as well shut the doors and go home right now. There's no reason for us to have an Easter season. There's no reason for us to have Easter services. There's no reason for us to have church at all if Jesus did not come righteous, sinless, and bring salvation into this world. That is our only hope, our only chance at forgiveness because He did that. So that's one implication that Jesus is sovereign. It was told in the future that it would happen. The other implication, the other evidence that Jesus is sovereign comes from the story, the background story to how Jesus wound up riding this donkey to start with. Mark gives us some information about it. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage in Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of His disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Tell them the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. Now, they go and they find this colt, exactly like Jesus said, outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untie it, it happens just like Jesus said. Some people standing there ask, what are you doing untying that colt? And they answered, as Jesus had told them, and the people let them go. Uh, people have differences of opinion about what actually happened here. Some people believe that Jesus prearranged all this. In other words, Jesus went ahead at some point in time. He found the people that owned the colt and uh, uh, the, the mother donkey that was there. He made arrangements with the people and told them, I'm going to be sending a couple of guys to get it, and I'm going to tell them to tell you the Lord needs it. And when they do that, it's okay, let them have it, and then I'll send it back in a little while. Now that's a viewpoint that some people have. And I don't know necessarily there's anything tragically really bad wrong with it, except this, guys. When it comes to Jesus and who He is, if I am going to fall off on one side or the other of that issue, I am always going to fall off on the side of Him being a big God. Of Him being a sovereign God. So if you want to say Jesus arranged this, I'll agree with you, but if you want to know how I believe He arranged it, He arranged it from the standpoint of deity. I believe Jesus had always known the day He would need the colt. I believe Jesus had always known because He was God in the flesh exactly where the colt would be tied. I believe Jesus always knew that when they went to untie it, these people would ask, what are you doing? Jesus, because He's sovereign God, was in control of these circumstances. They go and get this colt that had never ever been ridden. Maybe that applies to you this morning. You realize a colt that's never been ridden doesn't like to be rode? So you may be here today and you think, you know what, I'm going to live my life the way I want to live my life. I'm not going to let Jesus tell me what to do. I'm not going to let Him ride me. Well, yeah, you need to humble yourself like this colt had humbled itself. And you need to let Jesus ride your life. Look what else we're told just to give evidence of what I'm saying. Later on there in John chapter 12, in verse 16, it said this, As His disciples did not understand all this, only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. They had no idea what they were doing. Jesus was in total control of this situation. He is a sovereign King. He's all-powerful and He's all-knowing. For you theological people, He's omnipotent and He's omniscient. He's that kind of God. He is in total, total control of all things. 
Listen, if He can speak and say, let there be light, and there's light, if He can hold the stars in their places, He can send someone to find a donkey and bring it to Him if He wants to. And my suggestion is this to you. You allow Jesus to be more than the show in your life. You allow Jesus Christ to be the King that rules and reigns in your life, in your decisions, in how you live. Allow Him to be the King of your life. A pastor that I know in a church we actually visited this past week, Perry Noble at New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina, they are currently doing a series called Practical Atheists. And you know what a lot of church people are? That's exactly what we are. We are practical atheists. We say we know Him and then we live like we don't know Him at all. Don't let Him just be the show. Allow Him to be a sovereign in your life. Is Jesus to you just the show? Is Jesus to you the sovereign? Is Jesus to you the Savior? The Bible said they took the palm branches and they went out to meet Him shouting, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means this. It means, O save or save now. It comes from two words in the Greek made into one word, a compound word. The first part of the word means save. The second part of the word means I pray. Now, since you've already heard me say a lot of them were there with the wrong motivation, wrong intent, not understanding that He was the Savior of the world, they're just there thinking, man, here comes our new King. He's going to chase off the Roman Empire and all that. There's still a lesson for us to learn here. They were literally, most of them were crying out, not saying, oh God, save my soul. They were saying, save us now, chase the Romans off, come and be our King now. That's what they were saying, literally. But here's why they were saying that. They were sick and tired of being underneath the Roman rule. They were sick and tired of their lives. They were sick and tired of having to live underneath the bondage of another country. And that's where our lesson is to be learned today. Because if you are sick and tired of your life, if you are sick and tired of the choices that you've been making, you are sick and tired of being underneath the bondage of sin in your life, guess what? You can cry out to Jesus Christ and say, I'm sick and tired of it. Save me now. I'm sick and tired of all that I'm facing. I'm tired of the guilt. I'm tired of the shame. I realize I've tried and tried and tried the best that I can and I can't change my life. Jesus, I want You to save me now. I want You to be the sovereign King of my life. I am crying out for You to offer salvation to me. Then there might be someone here that's thinking, oh, I really need to do that. I want to do that right now. But there might be some others that are thinking, well, I plan to do that sometime. I plan to take care of that, but just not right now. You see, these people cried out with urgency because they were sick and tired of their lives. With a level of desperation. And if you're here today with desperation in your life and you know you need a Savior, I have one for you. His name is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, shed His blood on the sin, uh, shed His blood for your sins, shed His blood on the cross, died there for you in your place so that when you believe in Him, you can have everlasting life. They gave Him a rock star celebrity entrance. But at the end of the week, the same ones that were screaming out, Hosanna, blessed is the one that comes in the name of the Lord, were screaming out, crucify Him. You want to know why? Because that's why He came. He came to go to the cross. He came to die for your sins. One last thing. Is Jesus Christ to you the show? Is Jesus Christ to you the Sovereign? Are you allowing Him to be King over your life? Is Jesus Christ to you the Savior? Have you trusted in Him? Have you cried out to Him and say, Save me now. I'm sick of my life. I want my life changed. Jesus, will you change my life? Or, is Jesus Christ just to you the situation? Just maybe an aggravation to your life. Just maybe a situation 
and inconvenience that you're having to deal with. Did you see what the Pharisees said? The Pharisees are watching all this celebration, Jesus coming into the city, and they said to each other, see, this is getting us nowhere. Just a situation they needed to find a way to deal with. The Pharisees are saying, what's in it for us? It's not doing anything for us. People quit listening to us like they used to. Now they're listening to Jesus. If this keeps up, the Roman Empire is going to think we've got a new king here and we're getting ready to have a rebellion and insurrection and they're going to send the army in to beat us up. This isn't good is what they're saying. This isn't going to get us anywhere. They were looking at Jesus Christ just being a situation that they wanted to find a way to skirt around, get on the other side of, and forget. And you see, here's the deal. Today, that might be what Jesus is to you because you've not trusted in Him as your Savior. And you've heard people talk about Him and you've seen people around you that have trusted in Him and their lives and the way they live are kind of making you guilty of your life and everything. And it's putting pressure on you because of who you are, because we're all sinners. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But because you've not trusted Christ, you're still guilty of all of your sins and people being around you that are Christian you don't like to happen. You don't like to come to church because when you come to church, you're reminded that you need to trust in Jesus. And all Jesus is to you is this, a situation that you want to find a way to get on the other side of and forget. The Pharisees hatched their plan. After Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And Jesus is getting all this clout and people following Him. They start saying, man, what are we going to do? We've got to do something about this. We're not in the limelight anymore. And no less than the religious head, <laughs> the chief priest said this, it's better for one to die than many. And right then and there, they started plotting some way to have Jesus Christ murdered, executed, off the scene, to where they didn't have to deal with Him anymore. That's the plan that they hatched. We'll get rid of Him. Why were they honestly taking that approach? Probably two reasons. One I've already kind of alluded to. One was this. They were afraid that it would look like an insurrection and the Roman Empire would come in and just wipe them out. And the religious people of that day were comfortable with their status quo. They're comfortable with the way things were. You know, we're not ruling over ourselves, but you know, it's not really that bad. The Romans, as long as we behave ourselves, are treating us that bad. So they were satisfied with the status quo. You see, that's our problem many times in our lives. We get satisfied with the status quo. Jesus wants to set you free, and you're satisfied with where you are. That's part of the reason why. The other reason why they just looked at Jesus as a situation is this. I think they were jealous. Because no more were people coming up and saying, Oh, Mr. Pharisee, tell us what the Bible says. Tell me what that means to my life. Tell me what I need to do. Oh, great Pharisee, you, you memorize the Bible and you do all this stuff and, and we see you walking around so holy looking and everything. Oh, great Pharisee, tell us what we're supposed to do next. See, that wasn't happening much anymore. Instead, they were coming to Jesus. By the way, that's what we ought to do. Because there's still Pharisees in this world today, and there's still Pharisees in churches today who want the limelight. They're not in it to glorify Jesus. They're not in it to point to Him. They want the limelight. They want people to look at them and say, look how great they are. You see, there's no room for that. I don't need to be in a spotlight. You don't need to be in a spotlight. No, the pastor or anyone else in this world needs to be the ones in our churches that are in the spotlight. Jesus Christ is the one that we need to shine everything on. He's the one that we need to focus everything on. He's the one that we lift up, not ourselves. Not how holy we are. Not look at us Pharisees. 
As we turn our nose down on everyone else. They were jealous over that. And they wanted to find a way to get rid of Jesus. He was nothing more than a situation to them that they wanted to find a way to skirt around. So can I ask you today, is Jesus to you just that same kind of situation? You've not trusted in Him. You don't come to church much because it reminds you of Him and reminds you of who you are and what you need to do. You don't like hanging out with Christians because that kind of makes you guilty also about your life and what you're doing. So you kind of look at Jesus and this whole Christianity thing as just a situation that you want to find a way to forget. You want to find a way to shut it up. You want to find a way to stop the voices and get on the other side of it. Is that who Jesus is to you? Just a situation. Before and after. We're following Jesus on His way to the cross. Today He rides into Jerusalem. And our question this morning is this. Who is this Jesus Christ to you? Who is this Jesus riding on this donkey? Is He just the show? Is He just entertainment? Is He just someone as long as you can get more bread and more fish from, you'll keep following Him. As long as there's not a high cost attached to following Jesus, you'll be there with a crowd and you'll say, Woo, Jesus! But as soon as He starts calling for a commitment, are you going to turn and go away because all you wanted to be was part of a show? Is He the sovereign God that you're going to let rule and reign over your life? Is He your Savior? Have you cried out to Him to save you with a sense of urgency and desperation because you realize that you need Him? Or is He just a situation that right now you would like to get out of and you wish I would shut my mouth and you wish we'd let the band sing and shut it off today so you can just leave? Is He that kind of situation that you just want to find a way to get on the other side of? Who's Jesus to you? You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com.